Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. My name is Nick Perrin, and I'm an actor, writer, and game master. And on Tabletop, I talk with an expert game master every week to find out the best ways to run amazing games and tell epic stories. Looking to start DMing? Or maybe you've been a game master for a long time and want to spice up your table? Then this podcast is for you. Tabletop is released on Mondays wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode, and I think that it is probably without saying that anybody that has listened to any of our other episodes over the last several months, this has been a very anticipated episode for us. I've been very much looking forward to doing this episode since the next line of Dragonlance novels was announced. I'm really looking forward to go ahead and diving in here. I'm very excited for the Dragonlance content at the end of the year, but... Before we get into all of that, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. Nice to see you all. Hope that things are well down in the, the beautiful, wonderful, uh, somewhat more autumnal than Maine state of Connecticut, I hope. so. <laughs> that was a whole lot of words. That was a whole lot of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to uh, things are pretty good down here for me. Had a busy day, two house showings, running around, just getting stuff done and adulting. But it's uh, been great. <laughs> I know totally. we have to sometimes. Yeah, totally appreciate. It. We're we have also we are also selling a house, and so we had movers and shakers all over the house all day today. So it was a, it was also crazy on our front. So I totally appreciate where you're coming from there. How about you, Mr. Miller? How are things going for you tonight? Things are going very well. I am blessed. I am so blessed. I have heat. I have hot water. I have a roof over my head. Here we are uh, with uh, friends, family, and friends who are as close as family in Florida. Kind of assessing where things are and situations are actually still developing in some areas. So I, I guess I'm just really uh, taken by the fact that I'm blessed to be in the situation that I am. I'm very thankful for that. My heart goes out to those who are affected by the hurricanes. I have a number oh, of friends absolutely. who've marked themselves safe, yeah. which is wonderful. I, there's still some folks I'm waiting to hear back from. I'm really kind of focused on that and focused on those things. And hopefully we're going to have some we're going to have a really nice discussion about a good book. So yep. as things get to some kind of normal in Florida, maybe something that anybody who listens to the show in that state will find enjoyable and a bit of solace in. So I'm looking forward yep. to this. 
I like the Solace reference since we're going to be talking about Dragonlance. That's very well placed. Very nice. nice. Yes, absolutely. All right. (laughs) We're here to talk about a brand new novel, a little uh, callback to the history of our youth. Yeah. And I am so here for this book. So here for it. We all are. We all are. And of course, we're talking about the latest Dragonlance novel, Dragons of Deceit, the latest novel from Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. So excited when we heard that this was coming out this summer. So excited when Wizards of the Coast announced new Dragonlance campaign content for the end of the year. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's probably the best place to go ahead and start tonight is that this is a Dragonlance fans book. So many callbacks to the to so many of the original books. Like I, I started re-listening to Dragons of Autumn Twilight when I what after I finished this. I'm like listen, listening to it anew, hearing it with fresh ears. Fantastic! I can't wait to go ahead and start working through that that those four books again, and probably jumping into the, some of the other series after that. Absolutely, a Dragonlance fans book. Very happy to go ahead and see that. What were your overall thoughts on the book, so Glenn? I'm going to go to you actually because I know that you literally finished the audiobook mere moments ago. Indeed, uh, I finished my last two hours tonight. Yeah, so I am very interested in the raw, fresh opinions on the book as a whole from you. I agree with you 100% that it is definitely a Dragonlance fans book. It has filled me with the urge to go back and start from the beginning. Yeah. Whether or not I'm going to, I don't know, because I'm not certain I have that much time. I, I got a lot, a lot of other fair. things that, <laughs> that I'm reading to, just for tabletop journeys, let alone yeah. the things I try to read on my own. But it's in there. So we'll see as I finish this one if it stays holding me long enough that I wind up going back to the beginning. Yeah. In terms of overall thoughts on the book, I enjoyed it. I definitely thought it was a good read. It was gripping. It drugged me in. I might have some unpopular thoughts about it as a whole, but I don't want to throw those down at the front of the episode. So yeah, after we talk about the book, I'll, I'll give you my overall. Yeah. How about you, Mr. Miller? What did you think? I was absolutely smitten with this novel. A couple things that I have maybe alluded to on the show, which I've probably not said out loud i stopped reading most fiction in the mid in the early to mid 90s i started reading almost exclusively nonfiction. i read a lot of historical fiction i read a lot of things with narrative juice but they were all nonfiction. and part of the reason for that was i had gotten to a point where the things that i enjoyed thoroughly were not being recreated and that's not to say that there aren't other novels out there that are good. I know Glenn has often tried to get me to read other novels here or there, but I was also in a position where I was trying to write and I felt at risk for borrowing too much of it and putting too much of that into my writing as opposed to being inspired that it would go too far. So I stopped reading nonfiction and I stopped reading fiction, just read nonfiction exclusively for my for the catalyst for my ideas. So that wouldn't happen. I don't. So this is the first fiction book I have read since 97, 98, mm. something like that. I have not yeah. read of, other than I read a lot of game books and I read a lot of those things, but I, as far as full novels, I haven't read a fiction novel since then. And what I found, which means I missed the smattering of other Hickman and Weiss Dragonlance novels that have come out from the 90s to, to present day. So they have had other novels before this, after their main work at the beginning of this series of books. But I missed most of those. And I regret missing most of those because this book was fantastic. There are so many things that I loved about this book. But right now, I'll just say it brought me back in. It brought me back home. And their writing did not let me down. 
I did not want to put down this novel at many, in many cases. There are a number of two o'clock, three o'clock mornings that I was awake and listening to this when I should have been passed out. If I had been watching TV, I would have fallen asleep on it. If I had been doing, if I had been writing or something else, I would have fallen asleep on it. But I was listening to this and some of the sections just kept me all through it. And I just absolutely loved it. I agree with all of that. So I think let's get into the actual, let's get into our actual show here. And let's just first start that even though Dragons of Deceit has now been out for a couple of months, we feel it is right and proper to go ahead and say, this is not going to be a spoiler free episode. We are absolutely going to be talking about very specific things that happen and maybe don't happen in this book. So be aware if you have not read the book yet, pause the episode where you are, go read the book. It's, it's a good 12 or 14 hour read. It might've been 20, but still read the book, come back, and then you can listen to our deep dive analysis in here. Cause we're definitely going to be covering lots of content in the book here. So saying that we're going to start with book one. So the book of course is separated into three main books. And the first book covers, we, we are introduced to Destina who becomes basically the main character throughout the bulk of the novel here right. and her origin story and her origin story dealing with her father and the battle at the Claris tower where her father mm-hmm. dies and eventually her inheritance and loss of her inheritance that sets her on the journey that begins books two and three. I thought as an opening, this was amazing. I loved the way that they took so much so much character building to introduce us to who Destina is. And I think more importantly, who Destina wants to be, the things that Destina wants to do, and the type of person that Destina wants to be. Because as we get into books two and three, that will come into very serious question. Her own morals and her own actions and her own destiny will come into very serious question in books two and three. So I loved the way that they laid out in so much detail where Destina came from and the origin story of her family and everything like that. Just an absolute masterful stroke to go ahead and spend so much time building that character up so completely. It was crucial, especially as you get into the next books and some of the links that that Destina actually goes to, ways that she bends her own personal honor that she never expected that she would, the lines that she becomes willing to cross, all of that is built upon the foundation of this first book and how important her role and what she was going to do and what she was going to become was to her and who she was the core of her being and how yeah. all of that was tied up in her name and her legacy as one might recall is also a salomnic trait that you might also that we also find in stern and other yeah. characters they are very big in the family honor my honor is my life yeah. and the overall name and bringing good deeds and prosperity to the family and if you didn't have that some of the lines that she winds up crossing, given how good a person she is at her core, they break your suspension of disbelief. And you're like, there's no way she'd do that. But no, if you're watching, she's a little bit messed up partway through this story. And uh, she'll do pretty much whatever she has to do almost. Yeah. I, when we get into book two in particular, we'll talk about that. She will definitely do whatever it is that she needs to do. And it, it definitely, we can see her starting her kind of her... <sighs> Sanity is the wrong word, but her kind of grip on her own personal reality, on that Salomnic, the ordered, 
reality, her grip on that is starting to break as she does more and more, but she becomes so fervent in her path to restore what happened to her family. She will do absolutely everything, but I don't think I don't think anybody else recognizes that it's breaking her except for the bronze dragon. And we'll get to that certainly when we get into book three in particular, but you know, no, yeah. that, that is very true. And I didn't yeah. even think to make that connection, but it's 100% there that he's, yeah. once he knows what's going on, he sees yeah. through her and knows how much she's betraying herself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I love the opening book within this novel for a host of reasons many of which you guys have just spoken on, but I also have to talk about how it resonated with me in a unique way or what I feel is a bit of a unique way. One of the things that, and this goes back to the history of TSR, the old company that Hickman and Weiss originally wrote their adventures for and this novel for, or in conjunction with, and how, and TSR's troubled history with certain issues that were very eloquently and expertly dealt with within this opening book. And that is race relations. One of the interesting things about Lady Destina, this main, the main character of this novel, is the fact that her mother is from a culture that is very alien to the Salamnic Knights and Salamnia as a whole, which are generally perceived within the Dragonlance world as being uh, Eurocentric in nature specifically very white. Though many of them are dark haired, colored as opposed to blondes or what have you, they are very much a Eurocentric culture as it was written originally in the novels. Interestingly enough, they talk about how her father went to this other land, basically met and fell, was injured, nursed back to health or whatever, and fell in love with uh, a native person from there, married her with within their culture, and then brought her back with him because he's a noble and they took great care to show how that culture those cultural differences were challenges in their marriage but they loved each other very much despite that and they were until he left together and it wasn't one sub um supplicating to the other it was a choice to make changes and sacrifices on both of their parts so they could be together with that love and raise this child which was lady destina that was expertly done and the reason i say it resonated with me is the original novels didn't deal with race hardly at all it wasn't really a factor in the novels but if you go back to those old second edition game books race was an issue that was very poorly handled by TSR as they handled race poorly in everything they did. So one of the things I was looking to this novel to do is how does Hickman and Weiss update their writing to address these issues? The, the very nature of, the, of this character, the ancestry of the main character was their answer to that troubled past. And that resonated with me. Other things that resonated with me was the concept of nobility and expectations. I've talked about it a little on the show, but not at great length. My family happens to come from royalty, and there are expectations, some of which I put on myself, some of which the family has in general. And being a good steward for the name of this family that I'm a part of is very important and core to my being. And so that 
struggle, that desire to do that, the desire to be a good steward for the people that look to that family, them bringing the people in, them protecting the people, them making sacrifices to make sure the people were cared for, her mother providing blankets and volunteering. And even after her father died, she may have given up the castle life per se, but she was still out there helping the people. That spoke to me in a way that was very core to my being that novels don't usually speak to. So I want to just say thank you to Hickman and Weiss for writing characters like that and writing a story like that because, hey, for my first trip back into fiction, to have it resonate so strongly with me, that's a thing. And it made a difference having a brown character being the main character in this book. It made a difference that they talked about things like her body shape. It made a difference that they talk about things like the way her hair is different than other people. And the fact that she's just as beautiful, if not more so than other people, it's just different. They touch on those things several times throughout the early book. Those things really hit home for me and uh, make this book very near and dear to me. Yeah. Awesome. Very eloquently said. Yeah. Oh, and it was really well done. And I don't want to say subtly because that's not the right word. Matter of factly. It was done, done with purpose, yeah. With purpose, but without making a big deal about anything. It was very yeah. well just... It wasn't preachy. It's not, by the way, here is yeah. our token right. X, or here's right. our token Y, or here's the section no. where we do Z. And I was very afraid that's how it was going to be because as a person of color, I very much dislike when representation comes with that feeling of we're doing this because we have to. They wrote yeah. a narrative about people, and it just so happens that these people resonate with some of my experiences. Yep. And I the love cultural, that. The cultural differences between Zena's mother and father and those pieces that combined to make her who she is really were a huge part of what made that the beginning and what made it yeah. so special because you had the contrast of two people who very nobly believed in taking care of those around them in need, but in very different ways. Yeah. And the, the fact that they could love each other and mock each other, yep. I also thought was wildly important because in yeah. a day and age in a society where it seems almost impossible for people with very conflicting beliefs to coexist in the same room, let alone the same family or the same marriage. I think that was also a powerful statement that Absolutely. Uh, Weiss and Hickman brought into the story. Yeah. And that resonated very strongly for yep. me. So just one more thing to tout in this opening, this opening, I don't know if I want to call it extravaganza, but it had, yep. there were so many things that they did with it yep. that laid out tendrils for the rest of the story. It was masterful. And one more not to go ahead and pile on because I think we all are saying largely the same thing, but I think that one of the things that was great about the way the character of the mother was written was that she at once seemed as if it was not strange that she was there, but she was also, she had this like level of exoticism to her, right? She did things in ways that other people didn't recognize, but not in an exploitive way. I think, Lee Winnicke, you said that perfectly. Like they weren't exploiting her other culture, but they were highlighting her other culture. And that's the way to go ahead and bring foreign cultures in and highlight them. It's like what we saw in Radiant Citadel with the amount of cultural influence that were brought in a way that elevated them didn't, and with Without detracting everything else around them. It was absolutely fabulous. And I think that we can end our discussion on book one by saying two quick things, or at least I'll say, I'll end it on saying two quick things. One, 
if her mother does not come back in books two or three at some point as a character, then that is a missed opportunity. Because we know that there's some her mother has some connection to what's going on, and we just don't know what. Her mother left too quietly, too quickly. I think there'll be a reconnection. Yeah, there's got to be something that's going on there. And specifically, what I think is going to play a huge part in the remaining books is the ring that her mother gave her because if you remember the ring was given to her as a way to go ahead and find her way home whenever she's lost but it was very vague it was very so it's like in a george rr martin sort of way that can mean so many different things including where destina finds herself by the end of book three and so we'll get that get there and it's its first use does come out literally. It leads her out of the darkness. But yeah, that could be just yeah. the first, the, its yep. first use from spiritual yep. to, yeah. To I'm dying her back to know. From where she's headed, that she's on the brink. I'm dying to know who her mother really is because I, I think that's part of it too. Is I'm not sure that her mother is actually who she says she is. So I don't know who she might be, but yeah. You know. I'm pretty convinced that she is who she says she I is. I think she is too. I uh, think her mother's but, a, a pretty blank slate, uh, well, open book. I don't want to say yeah. blank slate because she's very in depth, but yeah. I don't mean in, sorry. I, I don't mean in like an existential sense. Like her mother is actually like a fundamentally different morality than who she is. I just don't know that her mother is verbatim who she says she is. Like, you think perhaps, she's a, a god? I think she's a god. Of, I think she's a god. Yeah. yeah. I disagree. I don't, think, I don't so. think she's a god. I think that she is going to rise to be probably a disciple of her god or oh, that's a possible. powerful yeah. person of her god. Yep. And I can the see that. New fu- well, in the future that opens up. Yeah. 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 Um, or the past. I, there, there was one other thing I wanted to say that really captivated me about this book. And I think we would be very remiss if we left it on the deck without saying it. This book starts around the time of the autumns of dragons of autumn twilight so it starts in the fall around the same time as the original chronicle novel yep and it flows just in book one through that entire year that is the war of the lands yeah. So the middle from an alternate perspective on the from, side of it, yep, which was kind of cool. On the side. So at several points throughout this first book within this novel, we get a look at what's happening on Kryn as a whole, and we hear about the actions of the heroes of the lands at a distance. Yeah, from third and, person. And yeah. then when her father goes to the High Clarice Tower, he is present in the battle that Stern Brightblade lost his life. That's your spoiler. If you mm-hmm. haven't read that book, which has been out since 1980, I'm sorry for you. But yeah, the, but her father then loses his life there as well. And right. that's a story that I remember in a couple different tales or other Dragonlance vignettes, as well as the original books, because they've done a couple different perspectives on that battle. And so this was yet another perspective on that battle. And it was mm-hmm. brilliantly woven in. I was worried if I had a worry about this book, one was the issues I already spoke of, but the other worry is how are they going to run this book at the same time as the war of the lands and have it make sense? I didn't know how they were going to do that. Is it going to be like the life of Brian? This guy just happened to be on a cross down the hill from Christ or, you know, what, you know, how are they going to do this? I didn't even know how this was going to work. There's your Monty Python reference for those keeping count. So let's, get into book two which is really where 
Destina's Thanks. fall begins yes. and uh, begins and escalates. It begins very small. And as we said, at the end of book one, basically the fortune that Destina inherits from the death of her father, the castle and the lands and everything like that, basically is given to her cousin in Salamnic court because, because of, of the true heir to the castle. Because women under Salamnic law cannot inherit property. Cannot inherit property. When her father had written a will... But it was destroyed in a fire. So destroyed in a fire. Air quotes. She, exactly. She lost right. everything. Yeah. yeah. Slowly but surely, from her yeah, father and, to her and, land, and, and then, to her and people. And then to find out in book two, and I think at the, by the end of book two or in the middle of book two, we realize that not only did she lose it, but her cousin then turns around and sells her beloved home. And so really, it becomes the situation down the where, iconic. Yeah. Rose Thorn Tower. And, Absolutely. I think. It, it, all of that is great, and forgive me, I think this is where we also talk about the other piece of representation that was very important in this story that was not in previous Dragonlance novels, and that's women's issues. They took that to a whole new level, and we would be doing a great disservice to the women in our audience, the women that we count as friends, our wives as well, if we didn't talk about how well that was done. Yeah. Not a woman, so I can't speak from a woman's perspective, but as mm. a guy reading listening to this novel which is largely from lady destina's perspective the frustration she felt as a young girl knowing that she couldn't have her family home unless she got married or unless her dad did went through all these legal hoops to be able to give it to her she had planned to she was gonna follow the rules follow the expectations dashed yep. on the rocks of despair because she's a woman She's a woman. At that exactly. point, whether yeah. she got married or not, she was boned. But yeah. Yeah. But I think what's important to note here is when we start talking about her fall, I think that was actually started in book one and accelerated certainly in book two because yeah. the first break in her worldview was honor means absolutely nothing when the rubber meets the road. People wanted property, they wanted yep. her dirt. They wanted yeah. her lands, her stuff, and honor meant nothing. If her, if honor meant anything, her uncle wouldn't have, and her cousin would not have done what they did if honor meant something beyond what it means to an individual. That was her first break in her worldview. It was yeah. her father died for something that didn't matter because at the end of the day, it was his honor him as an individual. It was her honor, her as an individual. And I don't think she's rationalized that well at this point, yeah. but that's what I saw. What I saw was, man, and that's a beautiful thought. Salamia seems perfect. It's utopian if everybody followed that edict. But even Sturm found that out when he was dying on the High Claris Tower, when he asked for help and nobody would send it. He had to do it because he had to be the one that said, honor does mean something, and it means something for me. And if you care about Salamnia, it'll mean something for you. And very few people, Lady Destina's father among them, chose to believe him and follow. Yeah. So he yeah. followed. So he's in a different class. He's one of those who should have or could have been a hero of the lands because he took it to a whole new level. But the everyday people, the rest of them, all those knights who wear their vaunted armor, they didn't mm -hmm. mean – they weren't nothing. They were just a bunch mm -hmm. of dudes with a bunch of attitudes trying to hold the woman down, trying to hold on to their little graspy little pieces of power. And I think that's well, her first break was that yeah. worldview changing. 
And that was illustrated, the issue with the Knights was illustrated pretty well in the changes that it's undergone since the previous cataclysmic events throughout history that just about broke the knighthood. But now it's pretty much a bureaucracy. The Circle of Knights is a joke, a popularity contest to a degree. And that definitely was shown to us, the reader, very well. But Destina had to experience it. To, to feel it and yeah. oh did and, she and feel we it? all collectively realize that at the point that she loses the castle all of us are right with her that it is absolute bullshit that this is happening yep. there is not a and I'm not sure if that is just modern sensibilities or if it is just the way that it is written and presented but there is like righteous indignation on the hand of everyone that's listening to that like that oh my goodness I cannot believe that they are doing this to Destina what assholes are they but yeah, yeah. Still, the yeah, outrage yeah, yeah. was still there to be fair yeah. I, I had long been that outraged against the knights of salamnia since Sturm died in the high Clarus tower yeah in the second book and, and i'll tell you why because when i first was reading those books i'm like how cool would it be to be a knight of salamnia i'm thinking king arthur the knights of the round table think oh, all these great things and then when he got there and i saw the salamnic knights the Salamnic knighthood. And I saw that while there were those who went to his aid or whatever, I was down on them. I, Glenn, I don't know if you remember anytime we even talk about playing dragon with something, anything that I am never playing a freaking Salamnic knight. I wanted nothing. <laughs> Look, I, Sturm was a good character. He was a great character, but I was so, br- I hated the Salamnic knights because of what happened at the high Clarice tower. Sturm's yeah. death turned me against them as though I were a person in this world. That's how well it was written, right? Never wanted anything to do with those dirtbags because all they did is turn on their own and let him die for them. I couldn't stand them. This is the first book that made me think there is a narrative story I could play a character who's a Knight of Salamian now. Lady Destina, as broken as she may be through that first book and into the second book, and her father and the other knights, the captain of her guard, and some of the other folks that were around them, I could play this role, and I didn't see that before. I'm not saying that other people didn't play that or see it before, but for whatever reason, I didn't see the way to play a Salamnic knight until I read this book. Hmm. They gave that to me. They gave it to me in the first novel. They took it away in the second novel. They gave it back in this novel. 30-some-odd years later, and I love that. I do remember. I just didn't get it back then because for me, it gave me the urge to play what Sturm presented as an example, which was the young Salamnic knight or squire who truly believed my honor is my life. And as they yeah. get delus- disillusioned about the realities of the knighthood, set out to change it and bring back its honor. Yeah. But that was just the, yeah. the way our different adolescent minds latched onto it. And we yeah. just, in the end, mostly just killed draconians and lost our longswords when they turned mm-hmm. the stone. Continuing on with, with, with where book two goes. So Destina begins to fall, or her worldview begins to fall, and she begins this impossible quest to retrieve two colossally powerful magical artifacts. One that she has to connive and like Bilbo Baggins-esque steal from the dwarves and another that she needs to basically steal from the the arcane library in Palanthus. Directly uh, for the Vault of a God. 
From, exactly. From, exactly. Yeah. From, so not only break through the arcane seal, but also away from all of the aesthetic monks, steal the device of time journeying after stealing the gray gem, which again is an artifact of pure chaos right. forged at the beginning of the world sort of thing, right? It's one of these like colossally powerful artifacts. I think that this is the one part of the book that for me, I think I have a criticism of. And I say this with so much love for the entirety of the novel. Book two felt very slow for me. Like I kept waiting for something to happen. And not much ever, not, it narrated, I felt like it narrated through so much of what could have been so cool. Like that quest to go retrieve the gray gem from the dwarves could have been its own thousand page novel, but it got so severely truncated to go ahead and fit within the scope of this story that I really felt that book two for me and the whole, basically the entire interaction that she had with the dwarves and all that was... I really felt that there was meat on the bone that was left there. And so this one, this part of the book left me feeling a little bit empty. It was, this was a plod for me to get through. Not so my- I think in this part, the story is told from the perspective of Dis- of Dusty, but at the pacing of the Grey Gems plot, because the Grey Gems tendrils are what set this into motion, because the Grey Gem is ready to leave the dwarves of Thor Barden. The yeah. Grey Gem is what, not necessarily to see his fate and what happened, but it sensed her need, something about it, and the connection to Ungar, and it laid out those tendrils to call Destina to her, and it, with its chaos, is in theory helping manipulate the story, because honestly, it seemed a little bit too easy. If you read through it, how well everything swings in Destina's favor while yeah. she is in Thorbarden is insane. Yeah. But look at it from the perspective of she's being called by one of the most powerful, actually the most powerful ancient artifact on Kren that is manipulating events in order to get itself into her hands. A gem that has dodged the gods for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. So its its perspective is intertwined. So (laughs) those bits weren't important to it and its story. So it it glossed over them. So I'm personifying the gray gem a little bit, but its its storyline is just as much the story that's being told is Destina's. So that's what the authors chose to stay Mm. focused on. And I agree, there was so much more they could have done there. Yeah. But I don't think they were wrong to slide through it. Maybe a little bit more, because it did feel, as I said, a little bit too easy. Yeah. And and more than that, it did take a while for that easiness to happen. You're not wrong. And let me just jump on that for just a second, because you're right. It did feel too easy. And more than that, in this book, in this set of chapters, these 10 chapters in the middle of the book, what it felt like was that Destina routinely got rewarded for doing bad things, like doing actually bad things against her own code, against her own set of morality, just doing bad things, screwing over people that she shouldn't be screwing over, that she had no reason to, that she didn't have to screw over in the first place, lying to the dragon about why she needed to go there, lying to the captain of her guard about the help that she needed, lying to people that she actually needed things from who would have helped her if she had been honest with them. But she was so caught in her own, I I keep going back on this, on whether or not Destina's motivations are driven by her grief or whether they're driven by her own shame. And maybe it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, but the actions that she takes are just so reprehensible reprehensible yeah and 
maybe you're right. And maybe it's that the Grey Gem is rewarding her for going against her own nature. She is acting in a chaotic fashion and therefore and the Grey Gem is like, her for following it's rewarding chaos. her for it. It is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, all that I keep seeing is that she keeps getting rewarded for these bad behaviors. And maybe that's the whole nature of the Grey Gem. Okay, but one me, last piece yeah, I'll sorry. throw on there. It's not just a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. It's also a little bit of column crazy. Somewhere along the way as all of this happened, Destina has not just strayed. She's cracked. Yeah. And she says it, and it's subtle because I was bothered by it as I went through this section going, she's not having as, enough crisis of conscience for all of these things. That she's yeah, doing. she's really not. Until I picked up on a couple of times when she says – but after I change the past, none of this will matter. It won't have happened. She's crazy enough to have told herself that lie, that her actions right now won't matter because once but she changes not the past, her, yeah. she won't have gone back in time to have done these things. So none of them will have happened. And mm. she's using that to lie to herself for absolution. And that's what's enabling her to do it. Yeah. But it, it's subtle. And they might have needed to bring that up a tad. Sorry, Lumenica, go ahead. Yeah. So I think the answer to what we're talking about here is this grief or tragedy bringing grief and the stages of it and she's very focused in the anger and the denial of it so she is oh, the bargaining also she's yeah, she's, she's bargaining, bargaining her, yeah this whole mission she's refused to grief her mother called that out on her yeah, when she, this before she took him of age this whole quest is her bargaining i'm gonna do a thing and i'll do whatever it takes to get this done so that I can make it all better. This is the this whole this is a quest about bargaining. So her story is a story of the stages of grief in a very unique way that we don't usually see. It's not as clean cut as oh this is this this is stage one this is stage two this is stage three in order. It's actually a little more accurate to what I've experienced in my life and what I would guess other people have in theirs, which is some days it's anger. Some days it's pity. Some days it's this other thing. But you have this idea of how you have to go forward. Whether that idea is yeah. right or wrong is where she is, right? She picked what we would consider wrong, but she picked a path that's going to help her get through this, or she thinks will help her get through mm. this. And she's focused on it to her own detriment and to the detriment of, let's call it out, the entire world. She's picked the path that's going to get her what she wants. I don't think that she's picked the path that's going to get her out of her crisis, and that's but, the problem. She but, can't no. see the difference between the two. I, I, see, she, I, she, never, she never properly grieved. So I think that what the authors were trying to do, and I don't know if they were trying to specifically bring mental health in as a topic, but I think they were trying to describe her as someone who's suffering from persistent complex bereavement disorder, which is where you don't grieve and you just hold it inside of you for so long and you can't break the cycle and you actually need help to get past it. But that's what Destina is dealing with. She can't get past it because her mind won't allow her current reality to be her current reality but her plan is to steal two of the most par powerful artifacts in the history of the world now mind you she's 18 and go back in time to change history that's a crazy cracked plan by itself <laughs> yeah yeah only yeah. previous only heretofore presented itself with raceland who tried to right. then do that so he can become a god If joining the Tabletop Journey's actual play games sounds like the kind of fun you're looking for, be sure to check out patreon.com slash ttjourneys. 
who are patrons of the Tabletop Journeys podcast not only get early access to all of our episodes, but they get the opportunity to play in our monthly actual play games where the dice are wild and we make every roll legendary. Josh, you keep going back to she wants what she wants, which she's doing it to get these things. I, I'm going to break with your thought on that a little bit because I don't think it's about the things. It's about the legacy. It's not the castle in and of itself. It is not the wealth in and of itself. It is the legacy that she's focused on. This is where I say something about her really resonates with me. It is this whole piece within her that is if my father's back, these people that our family is responsible for are taken care of. She doesn't necessarily – because it's not about her – though there are trappings of the wealth that she is attached to or whatever. She was fairly easily able to break away from the trappings of her wealth. When they talk about no, the she clothing – let me finish. Yeah, she keeps – okay. She was. She talks about how it's uncomfortable to wear the clothes. It's not up to the standard she was used to, these types of things. But at the same time, she was able to fairly easily. So she did the things, even if she was complaining about them. But what she cared about is, who's going to take care of these people? She asked about her guards. She asked about her people. And I do think there's a bit of selfishness in there, but I don't think that's the core of her quest. It's, I want my dad back so I can feel safe. I want my dad back so that our legacy is taken care of. She considered it her job to take care of that legacy. The tearing down of that piece of the tower, the reworking of, of Castle Rosethorn, those were assaults on her legacy that she was responsible for. And from my perspective, she was more focused on that than the material things, even though those things are material things. It's just – it was oh, no, not, absolutely. It's not about – personal wealth as much as it is she's got to take care of that that's how i took her story no she, totally she didn't like screen. losing the wealth but absolutely she didn't like losing the title the position but to say that wasn't selfish is crazy everything about her and her behavior yeah. is selfish her mother said it to her face because she doesn't oh. care what it does to anybody else well, she only cares about getting what she wants which is her father exactly back. and even more than that she is so when so you talked about how she was concerned about the captain of her guard. No, she wasn't. When she met him again at the bronze dragon's lair, she was surprised that he hadn't moved on. She was surprised he was there. He she was and it was his honor. He had been offered a job to take care of the castle in its closing, and that's what he decided to go ahead and took. But she was surprised that he was still there. You talk about the clothing, about how she wears the poor clothing, and it's like it doesn't feel comfortable, but she can do it. How many times in book three in particular do they mention how she's walking around in like poor clothing but still wearing her really – her nice but old velvet cloak with the fur trim and how it looks out of place? She's not willing to give up her trappings of wealth and station at all. She wants them back. She wants them back. She's like That's why I think that it's shame. She is ashamed that her father did what he could to go ahead and allow her to keep these things, to keep that title, to keep that name, and she feels like she has disappointed him in losing them. That's why she wants to get him back. She wants to absolve her own shame. It doesn't have anything to do oh. with wishing that the situation was different for the people that were on her land. I don't both. buy that at all. Bit of both, but yeah, it's more so, about her shame. She's working on her shame, absolutely. Maybe it's my projecting onto the character, but what I saw from that is 
is her wanting to do the things that she was supposed to do to be in that station. And again, to me, that's about legacy. It's not very different from the way I, when it's I went about to work. Both. She was raised a spoiled rich girl and she's got privilege. Yeah. She doesn't even realize that it's wrong, but she wants that too. That's part of the life. It's not the focus of the life. She's not just after the money, but that's part of being a lady is wearing the clothes and being the lady of castle rosethorn she wants that material piece too she wants the fancy dresses and the fine cloaks that's what she grew up with that's not her being that's not specifically wrong about her character it's more about her exposure versus what she's learned and i think she's learning a lot about the world while she's out there actually now living with her finery being ruined but she is still wearing it because you're 100 josh she wants yeah. All of it back. She wants even, everything. Even when she loses the castle and she's and everyone's like, you need to sell the house you have in Palanthus because you need the money. What does she do instead? She moves in there. She tries right. desperately to scrape by keeping that house as a symbol of what the wealth she used to have was. She is clinging onto every rich thread that she possibly has at no point. Because if she had sold the castle... She could have taken care of some of the people. She could have taken care of the captain of her guard. She could have right. done some of those things. But right. instead, her legacy became more she was out for number one. And I'm not faulting her for that, but I'm not willing to go ahead and ascribe any sort of altruism so, to her actions. Liwaniki, you're not wrong. That piece is in her character, but it changed during book one. <laughs> she started out very much being about the people, and she took a lot of actions to be very caring towards her people. And when she was still able to balance both, be caring towards her people and maintain her station, she did. Right. But once her father died and she started to crack and crumble, the balance started to shift. And by the end of it, she does still have this. She does still care about the people. They're just not important enough to compete with her new overwhelming, unresolvable, unignorable, insanely burning, constantly driving desire to make all of this not have happened, which is the ultimate denial. So in the third book, and actually I think towards the end of the second book, we start to meet two very important characters from the Mages of High Sorcery. They begin to get wind of, even before she actually gets the Grey Gem, they begin to get wind of what Destina is doing or what somebody is doing. They don't know who, but they begin to get wind that something is going on because Dalmar has visions and his communications with the three gods of the moons, which was a fabulous scene, by the way, in his own tower. That was a great reveal, too. I didn't expect that at all. For him to be speaking to all three of them like that, that's hot. Brutal. And clearly, Dalmar exceptionally powerful, which again puts serves as this frame for the third book because the bulk of the third book is her quest to, or the beginning of the third book anyway, is her quest, her quest to get the device of time journeying. We meet as a character. She already has the gray gem, by the way. Yeah, she already has the gray gem. She's a medallion gem. Yep. made for her by Moradin himself after yep. he cracked the gem. Ray Orcs. Yep. Ray Orcs. Oh, Ray Orcs. My, ga- my bad. Yep. Wrong dwarven yep. god. Yep. Ray Orcs. Who accidentally, air quotes, cracks it and releases a little bit of chaos into the world. And when that little bit of chaos is released into the world, who makes an appearance? Tasselhoff. Not my favorite character in this book. Do you land in the camp of Antikender? 
No, like, I'm not an anti-Kender. And Kender, so Kender are fun, and I like Tass. He can get he can really, be a little much, but I like it. I liked so in the earlier books, and I and going back and re-listening and rereading has reminded me of this because Lee Winika and I talked about this too after I finished the book and after he had finished the book, I was like, God, I hate Tasselhoff in this book. I hate Tasselhoff in this book. And I went back and started listening to the other books, and what I realized is that Tasselhoff was different in the earlier books. I believe I think subtly different. He was childlike and whimsical and would poke fun at people and everything like that, but he was not intentionally dumb. In this book, his belief that Destina and Mary are the same person, despite all of the evidence to the contrary. Not the same person. Sorry, yeah. No, yeah he, That's he gone on that a they are not far. the same person. I'm gonna acknowledge that. It, yeah. It's more than just a little far. It keeps coming up over and over again. And every time Tasselhoff mentions it throughout book three, I like wanted to like reach through my radio and perform unchivalrous actions on that. Because I think yeah. it's I think it's legit yeah. and I think it's deliberate. Yeah. The Grey Gym is doing it. Well totally. Tasselhoff, yeah. Tasselhoff yeah. is one of the chaos races. He's easily influenced by it. The yeah. gray gem stopped her from being able to change before his eyes and won't allow it to happen because it's keeping Tasselhoff from believing it. Yeah. For whatever reason that it thinks it's funny or is dragging him along, the gray gem itself is controlling part of this plot. And I agree, it's been annoying and it's been bothering me too, but I don't think that's 100% Tasselhoff's fault. I think the gray gem is stopping him from believing it. So I will go a bit meta on my response to this, and this is what I had told Josh in our conversation before we got to air a couple weeks back, and that is I recall Tasselhoff being equally frustrating in the earlier novels. However, they used him more sparingly. Hmm. So I think in any individual scene, you got the same Tasselhoff you're getting within this novel. You just didn't get as many scenes in one novel. They were splitting time with seven characters you had gold moon you had riverwind you had tannis who took up a large piece of this you had raceland and caraman who took up a large piece of this not nearly enough tika whalen for my sake and she was one of my all-time favorite in this book specifically the third lots of cameos in there was absolutely that, yeah. brilliant and her character Tried and true, just like I remembered her from the Legends novels when she kicked Karaman out because he was a drunkard. We got that Tika back in this novel. Calls him like she sees him. Yep. But still very loving and caring for Tasselhoff, even though he very much frustrated her. And so I put myself in the place of Tika and Karaman in this novel and how I felt and dealt with Tasselhoff and interacted with that character throughout throughout reading this novel. And what I can tell you is, I think he's just the same. He's used a lot more, and he probably is a character that would benefit from being used less than more. But to Glenn's point, and I didn't even think about this, that's exactly what the Grey Gem needs, because one needs Tasselhoff for all this to work in mm-hmm. its favor. But two... That's exactly the kind of chaos that you would need. So I think that it is very much the in-universe reason is exactly what Glenn said. The out-of-universe reason why you're more frustrated with Tasselhoff now than you've ever been before is simply because he's in more scenes. 
every television mm. show we've ever watched has had that one character that's brilliant and you feel like you didn't get quite enough of them. But then if you really sat back and, li- and, and thought about it, if you got more of that character, it would not nearly be as special. And I think Tasselhoff may suffer from that just a shade. Mm. He's like the queen, he's like the king shade. of England in Hamilton. If you threw in another song, it would have been too much. You know, the comic it's a brilliant callback, actually. That's, that's fabulous. Or the, I've uh, never seen Hamilton, so I don't know. The, the comedy crew in Les Mis that are fleecing, that own the inn and yep. The Tenardiers, yeah. I could remember their names. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. yep. No worries. But, um, yeah. but Tasselhoff is that piece of the cast for Dragonlance. So you're not wrong, Lee Winnicka. Having him this much in the book is a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe that's the issue is that it's Gildenstern and Rosencrantz. It's, if Gildenstern and Rosencrantz are always in Hamlet, Hamlet would have been worse for their constant presence. But having them in two or three scenes you're fine. And so as the comedic, as the kind of comedic relief, although maybe not comedic relief, but maybe the epitome of innocence and the appearance of chaos and everything, may, the maybe you're right. The lessening of the tone. The lessening the, of the tone, the, the yeah. The softening of the tone is what I think, is what I think yeah. Kasimov brings to the story. Dragonlance yep. is a heavy plot. The Chronicles is heavy. You need something in between to lower the tones. You made a comment about the second book and that's where I felt it really was brilliant to do the second book the way they did because you had this building crescendo and then it brings it down and softens the tone and then we build back up that tension in the third book. And I think that's a that's great story construction. I think Tasselhoff as a piece of that third book was heavy. But yeah. Each individual scene was really enjoyable. I have no problem with any individual scene a, a bit much at all total, but I still love Tasselhoff. I love what he did, and I love his interaction with the Majeres. I love his interaction with Tannis when Tannis finally comes in. Absolutely brilliant. I just love each scene with him in it. Tasselhoff is a big part of the book because he's integral. Right. And I say that because I'm going to present the concept that Tasselhoff himself is an artifact of chaos. He's beyond a normal kinder by this point. He has been changed. He's learned to care, right? And look at all of the change in chaos he's wrought, like when he had the uh, time turner before. Cannot remember. It's freaking Not the time turner, the device of time journey. The device of time journey. Thank you. When he had the device of time journey before. Isn't that great? He has already been so chaotic that the gods though he doesn't you really see it that way he sees all of the po- the interactions is mostly positive but they did seem to be a little bit cranky that that's pretty much the way he describes it but basically they scolded him and sent him on his way and took away his toys because he was screwing up history bad just by time traveling on his own yeah. so now Destina's back in time with the gray gem and tasselhoff which yeah. creates even more potential for chaos i think that's a part of it because of my tinfoil hat theory that i'm not sure if we're two yet yeah I, yeah i think you're right i'm gonna give you in, my tinfoil hat when you're done yeah in, it, we'll have time for tinfoil hat because that, that's the next thing that we want to want to go in is where we think what's coming next but i think that i think you're right that tasselhoff is critical because let's be honest destina does not wind up where she is with sturm unless Tasselhoff gets involved. It's Tasselhoff fucking with the device that gets mm-hmm. Destino really, really screwed. Like at right. the end of the day, like that's really mm-hmm. where things go sideways. Plus, we powerful artifacts in the same spot at right, the same exactly. time, and causing Tassel- you know, Tasselhoff's insistence of like, no, I need to introduce Mary to my friends, and so we need to go back in time to when they were all here, so I can go ahead and do that. It's like, you know, so it's like, and that just starts this like 
toilet bowl spiral that Destina all of a sudden is totally out of control of the events. She can no longer hang on to anything because it is totally out of her hands. Chaos has taken over. More chaos than maybe we thought has escaped or even just that little bit of chaos is enough just to muck everything up. I can see all that. What I wish is that it did because it the whole bit about Mary kind of became like this running joke where it's every ten pages or so. If they hadn't mentioned that Tasselhoff thinks that Mary's coming right back or that he she he doesn't understand what Destina did with her or anything like that, it's every ten pages if they don't mention it. So oh, we got to throw in another reference to to Mary. So that scene makes sense. So that wanting to bring Mary back to show their friends makes sense. And I just think it's just too many. That's at the end of the day what happens. Like they hit that plot point too hard. They could have cut five mentions of Mary out of the beginning of book three, and by the time we got to the scene where Tasselhoff has the device and wants to show her off, still would have made sense. It was just too many. And so that was, so I do hear Tasselhoff as a plot device makes sense, and Tasselhoff as a plot device is critical to where Destina winds up. But it was the way that Tasselhoff was presented that really got to me. Honestly, and the heartbreaking, the heartbreaking realization that Tasselhoff at this point, for whatever reason, truly believes that he's married to a young kinder girl that doesn't even exist. Yeah. I do have a tinfoil hat theory that maybe at one some point or another, the Grey Gym will split Mary off and make a kinder out of Destina, but we'll see. Now, see, I have a different tinfoil hat theory. My, uh, my tinfoil no, that, hat. That, that's not my full tinfoil hat. That's a side one. Yeah. But obviously, as we've been alluding to, what basically happens in book three is that Destina is sent back to the very beginning of this novel and the very beginning of Dragons of Autumn Twilight to the scene at um, In Solace at the end, yeah. after, you know, when the five-year covenant ends and all the friends are going to get together. And the issue is that when they go back in time, things are different. Gold Moon is not there. And so the staff, and she doesn't join the companions. The mm. staff doesn't go with them. Nope, you got that wrong, bud. No, she's I mean, there. Gold Moon's there. Fizban doesn't oh, they, show up. That's right. She does, that's right. Yeah, so she doesn't meet. sing because Fizban asked her to sing. So the companions yeah. don't form. And then Tasselhoff, instead of hitting the guy he was supposed to hit, who got burned in the fire, yep. which causes right. the healing, instead hits Raceland with the staff while the yep. time turner's going off. And craziness ensues. Yeah. So yep. now Tasselhoff. Destina, Sturm, and Raceland have been cast yep. back in time to the time of Huma Dragonborn. Yeah. Before the War of the Lands. Before and it's actually yeah. Sturm and Raceland because they're since they've left that time and moved, their yep. souls came out of Yeah. The afterlife. And the afterlife. Back, so they're the, no fact, longer the, there. The keeper of souls, in fact, makes an appearance to Karaman and Tika asking if they knew where the, where Sturm and Raceland were, which, to which basically Karaman and Tika, Saya Collective, we're effed. If they're back and they're somewhere lost in time, we're effed. Yeah, but because, some part of Karaman still goes, I have to get to Raceland, and Tika's like, <sighs> with terror about yeah. it. Yeah, that was pretty yep. cool. I think yeah, that, but, that's because Karaman understands Raceland's nature. He understands yeah. that Raceland going back in time is not a good situation for anybody. There I think it's part of that, and part of it's still the... Raceland's hold over him peace, the, the yeah. chance that Raceland might be alive. But I did love the fact that at the end, with all these people now back in the present, 
where the time changes haven't caught up and there's this big thing yeah. about how the ripples are coming forward yep that they read about it in Stenius's journal uh, yeah. as he records history as it happens they read about back at the battle of the original high Claire, high clarists tower stern yeah. brightblade's name on the rolls and you know that they're yeah. changing history that they're back there doing it and i thought that yeah. was like a great relation to the movie timeline which was yep. b-rate movie but fun overall because one of the guys who goes back in time is one of the artifacts that they find in the modern time of yeah. his tomb. And it was yeah. kind of neat. So the, the timey-wiminess of it all is fun. Absolutely. Oh, loved well, it. It, it. Loved was, it, loved it, loved it. It, it was yeah. a great version yeah. of the Marty McFly picture. I, I'll be honest. Through book two, and my concern about – or not concern, but my kind of dislike about how Destina continues to go ahead and win despite who she screws over and despite all the bad things that she's doing and everything like that. And I'm, my kind of like, this is not great. Why does she continue to win? How are they going to resolve this by the end of the book? And all of that and then the pace of book three, which I thought was fantastic. I have never been so glad to get to the end of a book and realize that it is a cliffhanger for another book because the entire time I was like, how are they going to make Destina a good person again? Because oh, I no, have- this has got to be a trilogy. Yeah, totally. And what? And like even at least. Yeah, that, that, that's all I'm saying. So not knowing specifically that it wasn't going to be a standalone novel. There's a, there are trilogies, and then there are big books that are broken up into three smaller books. If you think about like the Song of Ice and Fire, right? That's one big book split into seven gigantic novels. But and so I was really glad that this was not a self-contained story. That Destina's yes. story is not complete. Dragons yeah, of Deceit is on. not the story of or a a self-contained chapter of Destina's story. There is a cliffhanger at the end, and I think that the scene with Austin is fantastic. Can I tell? you what i think i'm putting my tinfoil hat on the story is of yeah i think it's the story of a reset to the Dragonlance timeline i think they're pulling the star trek i think that the pages of the book that were blank meant they hadn't been written yet and now they're filling themselves in with different history and slowly but surely as the ripples come forward i think it's going to give them the opportunity to rearrange Dragonlance as they'd like with the contract with watsi for the Dragonlance edition that's about to come out that is supposed mm. to be set at the beginning of the war of the lance which is past history so how do you set the new campaign setting at the beginning of the war of the lance when that history has already happened if you don't reset the timeline that's my tinfoil uh, i think there's some i truth think to you're that. not wrong but i'm going to say there's two sides of this there's a meta side and then there's an in-universe side on the in-universe side i think you're spot on that there's going to be some resetting but I think it's gonna. I think we're gonna keep it much more of the original history than you think. But well, they're gonna change it wildly. But I think I Sturm th might be alive or have a different death. A lot of fans were outraged over how easy his death was. As if he was gonna die, and he was gonna die a hero's death, that he should have been able to do more than nick the dragon's nostril. Yeah, that was a huge betrayal of his character to a lot of people. There's an opportunity to change his death, to change his role. So yep. how much is going to change? Because they took the time to deliberately reintroduce the original characters. Yep. And that's my meh about the book. I loved it. Fantastically crafted. Awesome story. It's going to do what they need it to do. I'm not even objecting to the timeline reset because it gives an opportunity during the most fun and iconic time of the Dragonlance universe to reintroduce it to a new group of fans, a new age of fans, a new generation of fans. And I think that's yeah. great. It's a little bit... All right. Marvel did it a thousand times. DC did it. A Everybody does it. They reset the timeline eventually. I can get over that. But what I was disappointed by was 
that going back to the original cast of characters again, that reaching back into that trove for the main sub characters of this plot, that only introducing Destina as a new character so far, although I think the young guy from the library is going to yep. become part of the story yep. too. And I yep. think eventually they'll get together or whatever. Yep. But I was disappointed that it reached back into the same tired troves. And I apologize for saying tired because I'm sure that's going to be the unpopular opinion. But the divisive time journeying thing has been done. Tass fucking with the timeline. So that's two F-bombs. My bad. Uh, There have been a few in this episode. (laughs) Has been done. Okay. Everything in this book, Raceland coming back to life, has been done done and that was my disappointment as a dragonlance fan did it reignite my imagination for the dragonlance universe absolutely but it didn't give me a new story i think the reason it didn't is because it's resetting the timeline so they couldn't give new story because they're trying to make that history be able to be what people are playing right now when dragonlance comes out at the end of this year i think that's why but i did still find that disappointing that it went right back to the same literal tired troves of back in time to change this Raceland's coming back to life i'm enjoying it i love it i love that sturm's alive again because i'm one of those yeah. that's been horrified that was horrified by the way I, that he died you're not wrong i'm gonna bring this back to another ip to give an example of what we're seeing here i love dc comics and i love their universes in general not the snyderverse don't like that but i love all the actors in it and I like them playing the characters they play. I just don't like the way the Snyderverse played out. That's my take on that. But if you want to see characters get old and you want to see a storyline move forward from where it has always been, the only way to see that in the DC Universe is to watch Young Justice, the animated show. No other place, not in the comics, not anywhere else, does the story continually move forward. Season one of Young Justice took place at a time. Season two was five years later. Season three was 18 months after that. Season four was X amount of months after that. And I think there's going to be an even bigger jump. And the characters keep getting older, keep maturing. Different things keep happening. And the results of the latter years are dealing with the older years. That's about that and Babylon 5 are about the only two IPs that show the progression of time and don't go back to an older time to do their story. Even though they were failed attempts, Babylon 5 wanted to do new stories. It was forward of where the primary story of Babylon 5 ended. It was a couple years after the closing episodes of season five of B5 when they did Legends of the Rangers. With more money, a better production, that could have done something. The, the one that had to ship the Excalibur in Babylon 5, it was forward of that time where the main she- series ended. There's a reason for that because that's what diehard fans really want. The problem is when you're 35 years after the diehard fans started slowly leaving, you You don't have enough of them to go in. So you got to bring them back to the start. Like Glenn Mm -hmm. said, I get why they did it. It wasn't my favorite piece, but I got to tell you, if you're going to bring back your older characters and you're going to trot them back out, you got to do them justice. And I got to tell you, I've not seen older characters trotted out as well and as fine. Oh, no, I was and pleased. As, and as pure to form as they did here. Raceland, I was very pleased. Just like I wanted. Just as salty as I wanted him. <laughs> yeah, right? Tannis, uh, yeah. just as pragmatic. He had that perfect tone of monotone and indifference and 
this is everything now that I want out of Tannis. Half Elven. All the characters they showed were in, in, in any kind of detail were right where I want. They even make the comment about Tika was reaching for her favorite weapon and it being a cast iron pot at some point. <laughs> the skillet. Oh my God, I live for that. I live for that. Karaman, all of all the things that he did, his interactions, all of that was so perfectly balanced within the stories, the depictions of these characters. They even it was brought like out taking all, a walk with old friends. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was I was back with my old companions, and I didn't have to talk about the old stories because, quite honestly, we were reliving the old stories. I knew going into this novel. The plan overall was that this was going to be part of the War of Lands. I knew overall that the upcoming Dragonlance adventure path and subsequent information that's coming out with that was going to be War of the Lands so people could play during the War of the Lands again. We got a smattering of that when we got Fizbins because we got to see the Draconians again. And we, so yep. we know we knew some of the things or we had really good guesses. Your tinfoil hat didn't even need to really be trotted out for that piece of it because they pretty much told us this in the interviews and such like that. So we knew what we were getting here. But what I was surprised by was the skill, expertise, and a plum that it was done with. Thank you for that again, Luanika, for drawing it to DC because – I know how much you care about DC, but it also it's it's nice to see where the parallels here are across other fandoms. And we talked a lot of Star Trek, we talked a lot of DC, yep. we talked a lot of Mar- Marvel, you know, a lot of other parallels between what's happening here and what's happening in other things. And I, I what I'm really excited for is to see with other time travel stories, how do they get themselves out of it? Right, like they have right. now got themselves into the time travel right. situation. Yep. How For all we know, are they're going to reset it right back to what it was. Who I don't knows? Think that's exactly. going to be yeah. the case. You but... know, is Destina going to realize that she can really live a happy life as Mary and run off with Tasselhoff? Who knows? There's any number right. of situations that could happen here. That, and so I'm dying to know where that's going to go. And I think to your point about where the Watsi product in December is going to go, having this in for War of the Lance is that's the kind that's the campaign material that people want to be playing that's the campaign material that people want to see and very excited to go ahead and see what that book looks like too i just had a sudden epiphany as you were speaking about mm. it in terms of a wild crazy theory that about, i'm going to put about, out as about about my tin hat theory yeah. no about mary and destina because i said earlier yeah. that i thought that at some point that they might become separate characters sure destina is being seriously warped by an artifact of chaos it's being worn around her neck she touches it constantly it's clearly affecting her thinking sure. and her physical being it can affect her body right in the end to save her character and separate it from her that chaos is gonna have to be extracted from her and some of it's twined into bits of her soul mm. that's how mary is going to come to exist because kinder beings of chaos so i think mary is going to become a kender made out of part of dustina and the chaos of the gray gem we'll see stay tuned <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Will it be like a Hobbit situation where only the Kender are chaotic enough to go ahead and control the Grey Gem and therefore they're going to wind up with it kind of thing? It's already been said. And I do actually kind of like the change to, while we're on it real quick, the change to the Kender origin and the fact that they used to be gnomes but they were cursed by Reorix, particularly since Reorix himself is a bumbling god who's prone to <laughs> well, right, yeah. Kenderish mishaps. So yeah. it's what he cursed them with is a bit of himself. And I love the whole uh, accidentally cracked the gray gem while trying to go ahead and make a housing for it. Oops. And then just decided to go then decided to go ahead and make a housing that just conveniently went over the little crack because then nobody would notice. It's, right. Yeah. It's just yeah. Absolutely and then put it fabulous. on the human and send her out into the world. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, go. Well, how bad could that be? Yeah. And then he goes to hide because he knows eventually someone's going to figure it out. Exactly. One, one of the other gods is going to find out that he did that. Exactly. Because we know that like so, the, the gods are such an active role in – and clearly, we saw this with Dalmar the Dark. Clearly, yeah. the gods are watching actively what's going on right now. And now they know because Dalmar they have a very told active them, role in, in Yeah. Cat. Now Dalmar told them what's going on. And so like they know what's going on. Yeah. yeah it's going to be – I don't think Mary's going to be a thing, but if she is great, if not, that's fine. I didn't really think along those lines. I thought more about what's going to happen with Sturm and her, Destina's father and Destina's mother. I have a sense that this is going to come to some kind of climax where she's going to get the opportunity to save her father and her father's going to go and do what he did anyway. I have a feeling that's where it's going to go. She's not going to be able to stop that from mm, happening. That he's going to reinforce the code I, you know, I think he'll be the one that helps her see that she's yep, been doing wrong. Like you she, he's the one do, who could. Yeah, if there's anybody who can take her off this course, it's going to be her father. And I think that's what's going to happen in the end. But I think, interestingly, what I think will come out of that is um, maybe he had a copy of the letter on him or the will on him. So that'll be provided to her or something in that nature. I have a sense that at the end of this, there's going to be some kind of restoration or saving of Castle Rosethorn for her family. And the Rosethorn name, yeah. And the Rosethorn name, but without tarnishing her father's sacrifice. So I think in the end, Sturm will still die. I think in the end, he will still do whatever. I think those are just things that are going to remain, to quote Doctor Who, fixed points in time. Uh, I really possibly. Again, I had a tinfoil hat on. But some things around that will change. So circumstances, maybe somebody will know this is what happened. This is who needs to be here or what have you. Maybe it gets recorded by the historians who then can go do something or uh, for her. There's a number of different ways it could go. I have a feeling it'll go that way. What if Huma... The founder of the Knights of Salamnia is the one that turns Destina, and she never violates her father's memory. Just throwing that out there. Because she's now back in time with the founder of the Salamnic Knights, the person most revered by her father. So maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the one part of of your resolution story that I I don't care for, Liwanika, is that somehow – Destina getting the MacGuffin that allows her to keep her title and castle and everything like that. All that's going to do is justify all the awful things she has done. And I am not sure how she can get retribution, not retribution, how she can be redeemed for all the things that she has done in a way that satisfyingly also gives her everything that she wants and has done awful things to get. I'm not sure how you square that circle. I think that I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested to go ahead and see if that's where it goes. And I'm interested to see if it's satisfying, but that's the one part of your story that I don't care for. I think that Destina needs to learn some lessons. I think that she she needs to lose her pound of flesh. She's going to have to. I think that during the course of the story, that's what I was going to say. I think Lee Winika is probably fairly spot on, but the way that the circle gets closed is during the story, she faces her lessons, sees herself for who she truly is, deals with all of that in her conscience, has to make some hard choices. And maybe she does get the land back, and maybe she does get something that lets her restore the Rose Thorn name. She's still going to now sit in the title of Lady Rose Thorn, 
for the rest of her days trying to make up for the things that she did and truly yeah. being a noble and taking care of the people underneath her. And that's how you could close this. Close yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, there's also the whole question about how do they even get back in time because the device of time journeying is destroyed and part of it's in the past and part of it's in the future. So when Dalmar tries to go ahead and put it back together, he makes the statement that one single gem being out of place means he's not going to be able to do it. And we know that there are a whole bunch of gems at the feet of the aesthetic monk in the and that's two. that's back with Destina. Yeah. There are two with Destina, but we also know that Raceland Majere and Magus as in the staff of Magus. Yeah. are in the same location. So Which if it's possible to send those two gems Magus. back to the future? Yeah. No, because Raceland didn't get to bring his staff because it already exists somewhere else in this world. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I think the answer is very simple. You've got a historian. They know where to put it. He's going to be able to put it into a place where the other monks don't have a historian anymore. It. He's in the present. Oh. Yeah, he's the one that got sent back to go ahead and tell Austinus what had happened. Yeah. That's right. But they could leave clues in a book somewhere or something that, you know, yeah. so that they could pull one of those. And that happened in Timeline 2, by the way. All right. Let's 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 put a lid on this for tonight. Uh, boy, so much to go ahead and talk about. We There are so many things that we barely scratched the surface of. Leonica, you alluded to it, that we glanced over the things that did happen in book two to go ahead and keep the keep some of the uh, some of the big things moving forward. But great book. Very much looking forward to book two. And boy, am I really looking mm. forward to the Dragonlance campaign content in yes. December. I think that's just going to be fantastic. Really looking forward to being able to excitedly announce some things around that Dragonlance content coming out at the end of the year. But we'll, we will hold our tongues briefly on uh, on that for now. But let's see. Next week, we are right now in the middle of, of our next Patreon actual play. Uh, this is session eight, which I think was recorded like back in March or so. So it's been on the docket for quite a while. And we are also next week, our, we have our interview with Five Points Games. We uh, had a fantastic interview with Kyle and his. we're doing an actual play of his game, Masks the Worst Generation, a very similar. A lot of fun. So, so make sure you check out the yes. interview where the actual play gets going. So let's go around for some final thoughts here. Luanika, how about you start? I love the book. I think it's a lot of fun. I, almost, I wish they had broken it up a little differently. I think that it would have been great to have book one be a single book on its own, and then a couple months later release book two, and then a couple months later book three, so I'm never without Dragonlance for the next year or two, and they keep cycling that way. I think that would have been perfect <laughs> for me. But Post some uh, chapter at a time like Charles Dickens, yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Three Musketeers. Uh, I would have preferred that, but, but not because anything here was wrong, but simply because I liked what was here so much. I just didn't want it to end. And I think that's my big take. I love this. I love what it does for the story. And I'm all here for what it does for the game. And thank you, Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss, for bringing Dragonlance back into my world. I really appreciate it. Absolutely agree. Mr. No, Myers, any final thoughts? Yeah. Absolutely. It was a great listen. This is my first audio book. And I actually dug it. But I started out while I was driving back from Wisconsin. So it was a really handy way to consume mm -hmm. the material while driving for freaking 17 hours. But I really enjoyed it. And I think I summed up my feelings about it best when I randomly threw out earlier. It was like taking a walk with old friends. It really brought the Dragonlance world and those characters back to life because it was those characters, which was awesome. It did still leave me with that little bit of, I wish we had something a little bit new, but it could still go all kinds of new places if the timeline gets changed. And while I have... Mixed feelings about that. I'm overall supportive because what it does is creates more opportunity for awesome stories to be told. Yeah. 
So just real quick final thoughts for me. We all listened to the audiobook version of Dragons of Deceit for a variety of reasons, but the narrator, Kirsten Potter, was fantastic. Loved what she brought to the characters, loved the way that, uh, you know, that she had all the various voices and the, even though the way that she told dramatic story was fantastic. So I very much recommended, recommend other books by her. And yeah, the audiobook itself is 13 hours long. Plenty of, plenty of, uh, it, it's a fast listen. It's a good listen. She's got great pace to her reading too. Yeah, so very much. It is very, I don't want to say slow and even, but measured and even, which yep. gives you the ability to play with that speed gauge a little bit. You can shave some time off of it. I listened at about 1.3 speed. And because her normal speaking pattern's a little bit slow for me. I liked 1.2 best, but I moved up to 1.3 today to finish it on time for those last, Interesting. <laughs> to make those last three hours turn into two, two hours <laughs> yeah, and yeah, two and a yeah, half yeah. hours. Yeah. Uh, but, and that was, that was neat. She does give you the ability to consume it at your own pace because she does such a great job at modulating her pace as she goes through. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Shout outs to her. Shout outs to the, uh, to the crew that put, that put her on that. All right, that is our episode for tonight. Again, we'll be back next week with our interview with Kyle from Five Points Games, talking about Masks, the Worst Generation. Hope you enjoyed tonight. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great night. Thanks so much. Good night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash tt journeys you're listening to us on stitcher itunes podchaser spotify or audible we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform full episodes come out every week on saturdays and every tuesday features our actual play episodes thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler along our path we did you shade and sweet water